I'm Julie Newmar. Well, you're uh, part of the enchantment. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure about that. And we're on Sci-Fi Saturday night. That sounds good. That sounds perfect. We will begin in mass invasion. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Can, can I just say before we do any of this other shit? Uh, uh, hi, welcome to the show. Uh, Rob Watts, who did the opening, and we've been using it for about six months now, uh, is probably one of the by coolest six months guys. Still means like two years. So. Well, whatever. <laughs> That's one of the coolest openings we've ever had, and every Out time I listen to it. I just really... It's the Rob, coolest out of two. Thank you. That's all you. I'm saying. Now, I love Rob, too, but it's the yeah, coolest this, out of two. The co- well, that's still, you know, better than the other one. I must I, say that as an avid listener to professional podcasts, I would rank our opener up there with the best ones. I agree. I, mean, I think Rob, Sawbones might have a better opener than we do, but it's... But, an actual like it's a song by a band and it wasn't actually written for their show so it's not as personal that, and yeah lovely. that does not count and and i mean you know you know listening to julie newmar just brings back fond memories of her stroking my mustache Ooh. ew that is not jar jar now <laughs> creepy jar money gets hit early welcome to talk cast 228 and join us as we talk about the things this week that probably mean nothing to anyone but us and the gajillions who listen to us with baited breath and baited hooks in our virtual fishbowl of sci-fi life. Deep in Area 51 on the sub-level 16 from the Bob and Carol Ted Nellis Psychotherapy Creamery. If it's eating you up, have a cup. I am the Fiorella LaGuardia of an alternate universe. I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are some of our usual... Uh, uh, those people... In the, <laughs> in the Revere Time Vortex, our violent soundboard vixen, Countess of Shiny Stuff, inaccurately referred to as Testy when all she really wants to do is test, Vice Secretary of Opinions R Us Weekly, the non-paper, eco-friendly easing for nerds, it's our own girl genius, Kriana. I'm feeling extra creepy today. <laughs> Clearly. From the stacks in her personal quiet place in the dank dungeons only indoor zen garden and vegetable rooting cellar, robot reading room, the unmutable woman herself known throughout the cyberverse as the obvious successor to Dr. Susan Calvin. Look, it's not Schrodinger's cat. It is Zombrarian. I'm sorry. I got distracted because... There's a laser and a Schrodinger's cat. cat? (laughs) Is he dead? Probably. (laughs) It it, kind of depends, but yeah. Probably. (laughs) Joining us tonight is uh, 
an author who, who came to us in a roundabout way, uh, and I've been kind of enchanted by what she's written. Don't be gross. Watch it. By what she's written and the life that she's lived. Joining us for the show tonight, Ellen Larson. Ellen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dome. Glad to be here. Yeah, you say that now. Wait, we've got an hour. (laughs) Starting off on a high note. Oh, there we go. C sharp. In any case, uh, what was I going to say? I was just about to say something really... You, um, you've enchanted him out of words, Ellen. Oh, uh, damn it. I was, oh, I was about I to say how Ellen got onto the show. It how did Ellen get e- onto the show? How did well, this even happen? How did we get here? It all happened because of Yakko and Wacko. The Animaniacs at Granite State Comic Con last year. And we were having lunch with a gentleman when I got a call on my phone in the middle of lunch that said, if you want to do the interview, you got to do it now. And we kind of left him there <laughs> to go run and do an interview. And it turns out we became fairly good friends with this gentleman who introduced us to Ellen. So, Ellen. You're here because of the Warner Brothers, Yakko and Wacko Warner. I had no idea. That's fascinating. No, it really isn't, but you know, <laughs> it's kind of the way it happened. So anyhow, we're going to talk about your work. We're going to talk about your only science fiction book in retrospect and how you came to write that along with all the other stuff that you've done and all the other places you've been and all the other places you're going. But first, the news. Oh, crap. Kriana! (laughs) I was reading something really interesting, and all I heard was... I was, like, tuning you out, and then all I heard was the news. I was like, Uh, We are a group of really, really professional professionals, guys. Did I give you the best cue ever? I set it up perfectly, and there's this dead silence. So good. We are I almost so did good it myself. Things. Next time I'll cover for it. Perfect. Thanks. I'd appreciate that. <laughs> good job. Yeah, thanks to Joe Whitby for making the cue that we missed. Anyway, uh, this week in sci-fi, all kinds of interesting stuff that was happening. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week, for the past three weeks actually, has been amazing. But this week was, I think, what we can call Whedon-esque to the max. Well, and here's the thing. According to everything that they say in the, in interviews, it's really his brother mm-hmm. most of the time. It's not him as much as we'd probably like to think. He's learned well. His brother Jed and his wife, Mo Tankeron, who are both executive producers. Actually, producers, and Joss is executive producer. But, yeah. But, I mean, this this has everything that we hate slash love about the Whedon touch, in that you get to care, and you care so much about the characters that if something bad happens, and you know it's going to because it's a Whedon film, then you know you're going to get your heart ripped out. And it kind of happened. Oh my gosh. 
I don't I don't know I don't know if we can do spoilers. We absolutely can because if people aren't dumb enough to watch it, they haven't been able to stay off the internet. So okay. everybody's heard it. I know Patton Oswalt was gonna die. Like yeah. I knew he was gonna die because he's Patton Oswalt and they can't afford to keep him around forever. But oh my god, the way they did it was just oh, horrifying. Oh man. I was really hoping he was just kind of mysteriously going to disappear. Oh, but then there was a body, and then she was crying, and that was such good acting. Like, Sky, before, there have been two moments in the show where I feel like Sky became a character. Yeah, last night's episode was definitely Last one. night's episode when she realized Ward was evil was one of them. And um, her conversation with Mr. I'm not evil, yes I am. Right. Graham. Grant? I Great. don't know. Ward. Yeah. No, Ward is... Ward is square jaw. Although one of my um, student workers actually pointed out to me today... That it was just a little fun meta moment when she admitted that her real name is Mary Sue. <laughs> that was kind of amazing, yeah. I didn't yeah. catch it when we were watching it. it was, because it, we were too devastated! Yeah, I mean, they did a lot in that six minutes. They did an awful lot. And it was just throwing at you, throwing at you, throwing at you. It reminded me of uh, Firefly. Yeah, I want to go back and watch that six minutes over and over with with the lie detector. (laughs) And then he walks out of the place and pulls the nail out of his finger, and you're just going to go, oh, God. Uh, Terrifically done. It it validates the time that the first half of the season spent setting things up perfectly. Yeah. And what I found interesting was that like I love Colson and everything and his storyline Oh that 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 secondary story arc oh my god See and I was I mean I was whelmed by it It was good <laughs> it was fine if it had been in another episode I think it would have been wonderful but in this episode juxtaposed with what was going on at the bunker Yeah it was the least engaging part for me. Yep. And I think it was meant to be. I don't think we were meant to dwell on it. I, I think that um, there were two Colson moments for me. The first one was uh, when he thinks his girlfriend from before the accident was dead again, and he's standing over her going, you're going to be all right. You're never going to be harmed again. And she looks up, sees him, and then the next minute she looks up again, and he's gone. And you realize that he's going to play that peekaboo game with her because he can't afford to let his feelings get attached to her again. But the second time was a much more subtle moment when he looked at the group and he goes, I've got to go back and apologize to Melinda. If I can't let go, if she can't, if I expect everyone to follow orders, I can't fault her for doing it. Yep. And that was just a quick little light switch moment where he goes, shit, I'm an idiot. Yeah. 
And the fact that he's willing to say shit, I'm an idiot, is right in part front of, of the rest of the team. And May's moment with her mom was just... <laughs> it was the perfect end because you didn't end in this horrible, oh my gosh, that crushed my entire soul. You ended with, well, at least my agency's not shut down. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of very interesting light switches going on for virtually every character. And how, oh, my favorite part was how May and Ward had almost the exact same answer to the egg and rock question. And his was just that one little touch more evil. (laughs) A rock is a weapon. And she's, they both said one is edible and one is not. And he added the, a rock is a weapon. And I was like, ah! (laughs) It's a great show. And I'm having a lot of fun watching it. I really am. And I'm having In a lot. Face everyone who said that it sucked at the beginning. <laughs> that was way too much pep in that. So I am really getting depressed. Every episode of Warehouse 13 is one less that's going to exist in the universe. We're saving them so that we can binge watch them and just be like, Ugh. I may binge watch all the seasons and just go all the way back to the beginning because, damn, it's a good series. Because now your wife wants to watch them. <laughs> there may that may very well end up happening, and if it does, I can live with that one. But Jack Kinney, who's the, who's the showrunner for Warehouse Thirteen, uh, made an interesting statement last week uh, about wanting to do a Kickstarter. For a Warehouse 13 movie. Uh, I don't know. But I just think one more time. For a. uh, For a kind of wrap up. Or a last hurrah. In the same way that Serenity was the last hurrah for Firefly. Would be awfully cool. See and I disagree. I really like Warehouse 14. 13 in a once a week, one hour, you know, form kind of formulaic procedural thingy of the week kind of show. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, like, I love it. I love it to death. I don't know how they would get a two hour movie out of it. Well, it's, it's interesting what Kenny has to say in that, you know, the writers have a lot more stories to tell. And that's what's gotten them upset, is that they really think it's being shut down too early. And I can't disagree with that. I really think it's being canceled much earlier than it should have been. I think they're scared that they're going to Eureka it if they're not careful. Eureka, Eureka itself in the second season. We're in season seven. I don't know that that can actually happen. I mean, and if it does, it's 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 a ways off. Uh, and he also talked about, which I thought was uh, wonderful, a wonderful idea. And I've I've said it a bunch of times, is the H.G. Wells series spinoff. That I would watch a movie about. I would watch an H.G. Wells movie. You're right. Absolutely. I mean, there were so, just some wonderful characters. Uh, wonderful stories. 
there were weak stories. There's no question about it. But overall, uh, that's a B plus A minus series, clearly, with uh, terrific characters. And I'm I'm just gonna be really sad to see it go, quite frankly. So yeah, binge watching. I think that's the important thing to remember here. <laughs> also, Kickstarter. Maybe. Yeah, Kickstarter. If it happens, we'll let you know. Yeah, we'll definitely let you know. Speaking of Kickstarters, uh, our favorite vampire is back once again. Uh, <laughs> Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, our own James Marsters, uh, is starring in a Kickstarter movie uh, called Dragon Warriors, which has two things that I think make it really, it's actually three things that make it really interesting. Um, <laughs> the, the description? I, I know. I'm well, sorry, maybe no, I tried so hard not to giggle at Dragon Warriors. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, the title is Dragon Warriors, and it is described as Lord of the Rings meets Princess Bride, which, <laughs> which is an odd pairing on a good day. Uh, maybe. But if you look at uh, the uh, sizzle reel on, on Kickstarter and you look at the Kickstarter video, um, one of the first things you figure out is that the entire movie was green screened. <laughs> you, you're giggling again. I am. I'm sorry. I can't stop. You're trying so hard to make me intrigued, and is it a comedy? Please tell me it's a comedy. It absolutely is. Oh, thank God. I know, I know, I know. I couldn't live in this world anymore if there was a serious movie starring James Marsters as a dragon rider in front of a green screen. <laughs> but that would be virtually any sci-fi film, any Siffy film. Yeah, oh, that was what I wanted to talk about this week. Uh-oh. Do you have more things to say about James Marsters? Just very quickly. Uh, the movie contains dragons, warriors, orcs, bounty hunters, goblins, wizards, elves, witches, gorgeous maidens in distress, loyal man services, beautiful princesses, romance, true love, betrayal, a steam-powered jugger wagon. I have no idea. And a celebrity cameo from somebody you never thought would do a fantasy movie, and James Marsters as the lead villain. Uh, what I've seen of it looks hilarious. And, you know, love it or not, I'm a Marsters fan from Buffy, from Torchwood, uh, from almost anything he's ever done. And, damn, it looks funny. And it looks, it, it green screen looks actually fun. Speaking of green screens and Siffy, you were about to say. So, I was watching Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge oh, the other day. Because they do. Uh, but that's not what I want to talk about. The newest upcoming Siffy movie. Oh, oh. You know how we thought they couldn't top themselves with, with titles anymore? Okay. They have. The newest one is simply entitled Big Ass Spider. <laughs> it's called Big Ass Spider. I actually have a title that will beat that. No, it's called Big Ass Spider, and it's about a giant spider who finds about, true love or something. This? I don't know. Ready? What? Zombievers. <laughs> <laughs>
No, uh, Zombievers does not beat, like, the absolute we-do-not-give-a-fuckness of big-ass spider. <laughs> it's like they took the working title and were like, yeah, sure, that's good enough. Okay, let's just kind of just tossed it up there. <laughs> it's big-ass spider time. I yeah. think that they made it by taking footage of, like, their 12-year-old son's spider in its tank and just, like, pasted it onto pictures of buildings. Lovely. It's great. I'm in love <laughs> with Siffy and they're, I'm yeah, sorry. we make horrible movies. Deal with it. <laughs> you know, they're never going to outgrow it. It's just nope. going to happen. And I'm going to keep on appreciating that they take what they do and they say, we're going to do what we do. And yeah, we're I'm not going to take ourselves seriously. On the one hand, you have the Creature Shop Challenge. On the other hand, you have big-ass spiders. And the WWE. <laughs> Which never made any sense to me. Kriana! Uh, you have something to tell us about. Do I? It would be this thing right there. I don't see what you're clicking at. That thing right there. I I'm going to assume it was the Inkwell Awards. Well, Yeah. I love the Inkwell Awards. Anyway, um, voting is open for the Inkwell Awards, so go cast your ballots now! Because by the time this airs, you only have four days to do it. So, get off your butt, go over to inkwellawards.com, it's not a trick, that's really the website, and, and go, oh, go cast your Inkwell Awards ballot. There's some really cool, really cool people there that are nominated this and year. And even a girl! And it's about damn time. A girl! Ah! Oh, and, and speaking of uh, James Marsters, uh, who's going to be at Boston Comic Con, and we are the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, who else is going to be at Boston Comic Con, Kriana? John Barrowman, biatch! I need a third boob for him to sign. <laughs> that, that would make you a, a character in Star Trek, I think. Star Wars. Get it right. No, it would be Star Trek first, quite frankly. Actually, it wouldn't be... Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> You're right. So, John Barrowman and and uh, almost half the cast of uh, Torchwood will be there at this point. Gwen's going to be there, and uh, Spike, uh, James Marsters, is going to be there. It's he gonna was be... not a regular. He was on one episode. No, no. He was on like five episodes. He was on a full story arc. False. Season three. It was like one or two episodes. Kriana? Wait, say that again. John Barrowman was on... No. No, James Marsters. Marsters. How many episodes of Torchwood was he on? Three. Yeah, not that many. Oh! Oh, snap! You said one. Don't give me that. I said one or two, and if you add those together, you get three. Oh, thank you. Look at this. It's math for remedials. Nice try. It's math for robots. <laughs> uh, what else we got? That's about it. Uh, we can get angry about Game of Thrones, but do we want to? Yeah. I, you know, everybody's angry about it at this point for one reason or another, and they're all pretty good reasons. Uh, Orphan Black has been kicking some serious ass. It's it's season two uh, 
premiere was just amazing. But again, uh, that's nothing new. Yeah, I know. It's just been a great series. Uh, it, it hasn't had a misstep yet, and it's just amazing. And there's the other thing about uh, Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that was my sexy noise. Thank you. Like Nicely it. done. Yes, Thank quite frankly. There was an announcement at WonderCon last week that there is going to there is a Farscape script and it is being shopped. And Brian Henson is actually working on it himself. Interesting. Now I have to finish watching Farscape because I never did. See, and I always loved Farscape, and it was at a time when not many people did, but God, it was a good series. We didn't have cable when I was a kid, which probably contributed. Yeah. The interesting thing is it's being shopped by the person who wrote it, which was the creator of Farscape, Rockney O'Bannon. So, I mean, this isn't going to be a piece of garbage. This is actually got to be a good script because it's his baby. So uh, if that happens, that would be amazing. Yes, it would. Now, Fingers uh, crossed, everybody. Maybe yeah, they think- can do a Kickstarter with James Marsters. <laughs> and a green screen. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. When you see, when you, when you click on the, the, the Kickstarter video... And you see the green screen, and it's just this huge green screen in a warehouse. And that's all it is. And you're sitting there, you're going, how do they make this look like anything? And then they begin to piece in the shots for you. It, it's done by two guys who are digital artists, so they know what they're doing. And it doesn't end up looking like uh, that like, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller on the water in that where she plays her own evil twin. Or like the, the, the fire gang in Labyrinth. Yes, exactly. Speaking of Jim Henson and things that gave me nightmares as a child. <laughs> you want to bet that Kriana doesn't have the poll ready to talk about? Do we even it. have a poll? Yes. Really? Yes, I have it. I can talk it about happened? it. Happened? It happened. Yes. Who knew? Go ahead. There you go. You did amazing things. I voted in it too. So the winner is the person I voted for. Well, wait a minute. What was this week's poll? This week's poll was, unless <laughs> Kriana wants to do it. No, no, go right ahead. I'm with you on this one. Okay. This week's poll was, who had the best regeneration? Mm-hmm. And our winners were... That was... Yeah, that was the right poll, wasn't it? Yeah. We didn't... You guys need to step up the votings with the poll. We will put the link on our Facebook more often, but it's really just right on SciFiSaturdayNight.com. Because it can be. So we have... I voted twice by accident. Which is okay, because if you hadn't said anything, nobody would have known. Well, it, it accident. It skewed the results. So, In other words, you made your guy win. Yeah, actually. <laughs> so, before I voted twice, our three-way tie for a winner was between Spock, Buffy, 
and Jean Grey. Hmm. Okay, so let's think about that for a minute. Who would you have voted for? Well, I voted for Eric Draven of The Crow twice, so he also wins. <laughs> and then the doctor got one vote, and Kriana really should have voted in this one because Duncan Idaho is on this list. Yeah, well. I didn't know that he got resurrected. Thanks for the spoilers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I wasn't gonna read. I wasn't gonna read any more Dune. Cool. I tried so hard, you guys. It's okay. You're entitled. I tried yeah. so hard to like Dune. How could anybody actually like it? People read it for the sheer agony. I believe. I mean, and the first book was agony, but by the fourth, no, we're done. The only cool thing was the tiny child who speaks like an adult and will stab you in the face. <laughs> I liked her. There you go. And we wonder why things are weird here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Speaking of things that are not agonizing to read. Yes. Let's talk to Ellen. I think it's a great idea. I had an amazing segue there. That was, a, that was actually a very good segue. I have them. Sometimes. Yeah. In, 19, in 1971, Ellen Larson's first short story was published in Yankee Magazine, obviously not known for its science fiction content, so I'm guessing it wasn't a science fiction story. Good guess. So, she's published numerous short stories, reviews, essays uh, uh, on the internet and, and in, in print. Uh, she's written a number of novels, and we're coming to talk about her first science fiction novel? Second. Second. I have a novella that's a science fiction novella called The Measure of the Universe, which I self-published about 11 years ago, which is about a very sweet alien earthling encounter. Cool. Yeah. The book is called In Retrospect, and welcome to the show once again, Ellen. Thank you. <laughs> Delighted to be here. I read Dune. I liked Dune. Really? Did you? In the day, yeah, because you know all my roots are back in the sixties. So, yeah, well, mine too. But Major, I, even yeah. even in the sixties, as as altered as I was while I was reading it, <laughs> no. and Lord knows it was a good time to be altered. Yes. Um, I just found it ponderous after a while. Well, I will tell you that. When you guys were talking about Dune, you were talking about it as a series. I got about 30 pages into the second book and never never read on. <laughs> uh, because, so I'll, I'll stand on the, uh, I'll argue that Dune is a final book and that the rest of them are just awful and, and reasons why authors shouldn't be asked to write sequels in six months. You mean like Game of I, Thrones? I have, oh, sorry. I have to admit, though, I've only read the first one. Uh, I, I I got through number three and number four, oh. and and then uh, I I recall that uh, as I was in the fourth book, I had sitting next to me uh, Philip K. Dix, the Man in the High Castle, mm -hmm. just screaming at me, going, "Read me, read me, read me, read me!" And I just did, and I never picked up another one of the Dune series after that. It's like Terminator Three, uh, excuse me, Aliens Three. It just completely undercuts and destroys everything that went before it. 
So the, the whole, the sum is, the, the, the sum is much less than the, you know, what, the, yeah, what is it? The whole is much less than the sum, than of, the sum parts. of its parts. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I would never write anything like that, she said, putting in a segue. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Be- and I, Ellen, can I give you a roundabout compliment? Sure. So as you may be able to tell, I'm not actually a big fan of hard science fiction. Uh-huh. Like, at all. Uh-huh. Like, I tried to read Stranger in a Strange Land, and I... Do not dis Heinlein. I oh did. Uh, I just... It was just... Uh, I don't like either. <laughs> I didn't like Stranger in a Strange Land. But and came like, from Mars. There's a book. Yeah, my... My my hardest science fiction I enjoyed up to this point was Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. And that's not really hard science fiction. Sure it is. No, well, it's really fantasy most of the time. Yeah. Aliens no, on I disagree. Ray Bradbury is totally science fiction. Totally. Well, yeah. but think of but the Ray Bradbury I read is like something wicked this way comes and the yeah. illustrated man. Yeah. And what? Fahrenheit four fifty one. Okay. Over and over. So and over like again. no Martian still, Chronicles? Yeah. No. Okay. I haven't read the Martian Chronicles. Okay. I used to get them mixed up with the Bruce Colville series about uh, oh God. aliens <laughs> ate my homework or something. Okay. Um, anyway, so that was even yes, a tangent on my roundabout compliment. So I started reading your book. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, this is hard science fiction. And then I was like, but I have to keep reading it because we have the, this guest on and we have, I have to keep reading it. And then, I encourage you to just look at the trailer instead of reading it. I well, mean, and then I took that step past the one paragraph that I was like, I have to read this three times to understand these words. <laughs> and it was understandable. I just don't have that kind of science brain. And then I kept going and I was like, this is amazing. I love this. This is awesome. So, you have written what I believe to be the first ever readable hard science fiction in the history of the planet. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Zombrarian. I am talking to Zombrarian, right? Yeah. Um, You're the only one that thinks so. I, uh, I, (laughs) I have a, I think it's hard science fiction. Because, you know, time travel and all. Oh, it totally is. an attempt to have it scientifically, even though it's impossible, so it's scientifically impossible, and yet I I try to make it believable. I don't, it's not, you know, snap your fingers, time travel. Um, and I had, I had an early reviewer who, uh, who um, is a fan of hard science fiction, and who read it and said, well, it was okay, but, you know, I don't really like to read romance novels. Oh, sweet Jesus. What? Yeah, I know. I, I, is anybody out? Anybody out there belong to the hard science fiction list, which I joined specifically to try to find out if I should market it. I was being very foolish. I was overthinking it. Should I market it as hard science fiction or soft science fiction? And I don't think you, you should care. Exactly. I was. <laughs> I was completely out of. I overthink almost everything. So that's how come I end up writing novels like that. I would and like sometimes to recommend it's a good that you. Thing, and other times it isn't. I would like to recommend that you not market it as a romance novel because having yes. <laughs> read a couple romance novels once just to yeah. see what it was like. Yeah. First of all, those there's vocabulary. Yeah. And a plot. 
Yeah. So that right there makes it way, way different. Plus, most plus the, the boy and the girl are arguing at each other and, and saying hateful things to each other, and she's sleeping with somebody else. So. And there's politics, and yeah. I and there's, haven't there's gotten that mystery. far yet, but there don't seem to be many throbbing members. <laughs> well, so. just that one time when she's sleeping with somebody else. <laughs> but, yeah. but, it, but it's a well-written throbbing members. So we're all set with that. Yes. Uh, yes. It's interesting. What you've taken is you, you've really spliced together a, a good science fiction story about time travel, uh, dystopian future, and a murder mystery. And a damn straight four suspect locked room murder mystery. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't and, a locked room. If I'd thought about it, I would have locked the room, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think of it. But the thing, the thing that made it really readable for me is uh, once you get caught into the book, yeah, you start jumping time frames, bouncing around in time, and you force the reader if they're gonna if they're gonna commit to the book, yeah, you force the reader to stay focused, yeah. And it works. I mean, there are there are a lot of books like this who just, you know, kind of grab you by the collar and go, no, you've got to pay attention. Shut up and pay attention. Uh, and they lose me because, A, uh, the characters are weak, or B, the plot is contrived and, and is really just uh, a tool for something else. In this case, you've taken all three aspects of them you've made them inherent to the entire story tell and you've, you've given me at least uh, the character of merit who you have to care about. Yeah. The book, the enjoyment of the book sinks or swims on whether or not you are comfortable going for her ride and her, yeah, in her head. And if I get you in her head, I've got you. So, now, yeah. how did you end up setting the story in the 33rd century? Well, um, I knew I wanted to write a time travel story. So I needed time travel to have been invented. Um, and I knew I wanted to destroy the earth and have this be a post-apocalyptic story. So I needed time enough to destroy the earth and blow it up and irradiate the hell out of it. Um, and then kind of, and then have it come back. back. Yeah. Yeah. So because that was, I added it up, and that's where I landed. I have another series that I'm writing um, that takes place 20,000 years into the future. And sort of, it's, it's it, just in my own head, I think, let me, let, me, let me have this be one long, reasonable um, arc. There, there's, there's two series that are totally unrelated, but I nonetheless wanted them in my own head to be in the same universe. Um, but anyway, it was, it was as soon as I could make it, uh, reasonable, I think. Yeah. So where did this story happen for you? Where did it come from? Well, um, so I wrote this other science fiction novella, which is very sweet. And I, <clears throat> it, it's, people really like it a lot. So I'm, I'm always happy to recommend it. It's the first book I wrote that I just wrote for the gods, not to try to please everybody or to be wonderful. That's how you should always write. Yeah. <laughs> and I was very into writing 
characters that um, I had the, the heroine in, in Measure of the Universe, I was so pleased with her because she was outside of me. She wasn't me. And as a writer, um, in my development, this was the big moment for me when I started writing characters that weren't connected to me and my experiences. Um, so I wrote Measure of the Universe, and I wrote this heroine, and I loved her dearly. And my best friend read it and said, oh, my God, this book is great. Do you know why I love it, Ellen? And I said, no, why? Tell me why. And he said, because the heroine is just like you. Oh, good so God. <laughs> I said, oh, shit. So I set out to write a book with a, with a, with a heroine who was nothing like me as, a, as, a, as an exercise. And I am irrepressibly upbeat. The gods gave me very good mental health. Um, I'm an optimist. I'm happy. So that's so you get merit. Who isn't? Except, of course, as I wrote the book, I don't know who's, who's finished it there, so I won't give anything away. But as I wrote the book, I discovered a lot about myself. Um, I have and, to ask about one scene then sure. and how you came up with it, because I feel like anybody who hasn't experienced this as a child wouldn't maybe wouldn't know. Uh huh. The very first scene with the prioress and little baby Merritt. Yeah. And she can't sit still for meditation. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Was that you as a kid? No. Really? No. Because as someone who was a chronic fidgeter mm -hmm. and who even still, like, I've had professors say, can you bring your knitting to class more often? <laughs> you pay a lot more attention when you're knitting yeah. in class. I, I, love it, it, I related so hard to that scene. I loved it so much. Yeah. I love little Merit. Isn't it great how she you get adult, miserable, defeated Merit, and then you go back in these flashbacks and you see little sweet Merit and you think, oh my God. I love what, it. My yeah, part. and the question is, what intervened between the time of that, that child yeah. who was doing arts and crafts with the priorist? Right. Right. To turn her into the miserable adult that she's become. Right. And she is absolutely she's at the angry and miserable yeah. and, and feels at one point defeated and yet defiant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, a, she's a great character. She really Thank is. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I really, I'm so proud of her. I worked so hard um, to make her that. Um yeah, and I and I'm glad that you put it that way, Dome, because that's why, uh, you know, you first, you see her in the first scene. I got a lot of grief. I've rewritten the first twenty page or the first that first scene, which didn't used to be the first scene. There was another first scene that was I just threw it out because I couldn't make anybody like it. Uh, I don't mean the first scene. The scene when she's with the marshal and they're telling her that Zane is dead and she's got to oh, go time travel and discover the murderer. That scene was so hard because I, I had an agent once who said, Ellen, you're a wonderful writer, but did you know that I can't stand your protagonist And because she's so miserable in this, she's so mean in this scene? Because she is kind of, well, she's very defiant. So I, I worked very hard to try to make it clear that she has reasons to be unhappy, um, but I don't think I succeeded as because as, uh, I still hear people having, struggling with the first chapter. You know what? Really? Too yeah. bad. Yeah. Too she was bad. very clear that, to me why well, she was Well, I mad. tried. I'm glad to hear that because I tried real hard. Um, but the, to me, the, the, what the pull of the book, if, if the prologue didn't get you with the three days later, you know, if that 
didn't attract to is to, oh, I want to find out what happened. The next thing that was my hook was the juxtaposition of that cold, miserable, frightened merit in the scene with the marshal. Right. And then the flashback when Eric is revealed, the, the other guy is revealed as someone she knows, and then the flashback to the day she met this guy 12 years previously or whatever in it was. In school, yeah. And she's so happy. And she's right. joking with him. Yes. And, you know, um, and that's, you know, that's sort of me. So I love to hear you say that, Dome, because that's me trusting, as a writer, trusting that you're all I have to do is show it. I don't have to, like, point arrows and say, see, she used to like them. Right. I wonder what happens. Don't you uh, want to find know, out you know, what that, happens? <laughs> yeah, really, that's like a choose-your-own-adventure book in which you go nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and this this is what makes this story work. Uh, I think you worry that because time travel is not possible, that that kind of pushes you away from the book a little bit. I don't think no, that it no. does. No, no. I, I, I love the fact that time travel is possible because of the way you use it. The yeah. way the retrospectors, yes, uh, which is an unconscionably uncomfortable name, Isn't but it? I think it perfect retrospectography. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, two days ago, I was in St. Johnsbury, Vermont, talking to a group of uh, juniors and senior high school students who had just done a course in world building. Yeah, and their teacher invited me to talk about how you invented your world. And where all of those details came from, and um, that's a good question, but mostly they came from the need to have the plot work. I had to create very rigid uh, guidelines for my type of time travel so that I could I could create the plot I wanted, but, and also have little tiny ladies being time travelers and nobody else. But the other thing that you do is you remain consistent with it. Oh, yeah. And there are a lot of them that don't. I know. I know. Well. So the fact that you've done that is a nod towards the caring that you put into putting this book together. Well, I overthink everything, like I said. So. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea in this Well, case. I overthink it all, and then I, then I simplify it as much as possible. I, come, I bring it all back to make it bearable and, and to make sure that the story and and merit are what count and not oh there was there was this extraordinary example of time travel that used to be in that second chapter when she and Eric are meeting on the on the green grass of Raska um, and I cut it out I said no one cares about this Ellen and honestly all the time travel stuff and all the long words that you didn't know I made them all up so well, yeah. that's, Why that's would you what know? I figured out the second time through yeah. but it took me the second time through well, she says to him after he's gone on one of his theoretical tangents, and did anybody notice the Geller principle in there? Big Buffy fan here. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a bunch of that. Um, he's carrying on about the Geller, the Geller principle, and she's slowly noticing how really attractive he is, and you know how pretty his hair is. And, and he finishes and he says, "Don't you think?" And she says, "I have no idea what you're talking about." And that's my way as the author to say to. Zombrarian, it's okay. It's I have okay. to admit that is what got me through that scene. I yes. was like, good, she doesn't know either. Yes, 
She's lying, but it's okay too. And and then you take this beautiful young girl yeah. and this man, uh, young man that she's attracted to, yeah. and you throw masks over them. Yes. Why? Well, that's what that's one of the themes. There was there are three or four immense themes in the book, and one of them was about being able to be seen and not seen and Mer one of the and particularly early in the book Merritt just is harf she's humiliated by the fact that these horrible people her enemies can see her and see her pain and she can't see them and you know then there are some people take their shields on and off again they're whoops uh, this is that you guys yeah I think that was on our end okay Hit the thing by accident. Ah, hi, Kriana. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks for the expo. So, yeah, so that's one of the uh, one of the themes in the book was knowing yourself, and you know, it, on a basic level, Merritt is sort of learning about herself. It's just, it's just that seems so simplistic because there's so much stuff going on, and um, you know, but it was just for fun. But, it, but well, in the end, what makes the story work is that, not that it's science fiction, not that it's time travel, not that it's a murder mystery, mm. but it's a self-discovery. Yeah. Well, she thinks she's been broken. And right. And clearly. She hates herself. And, and, and she's wrong. You know from the beginning you, that she's yeah. not broken, even though. No. She, I mean, it's very clear from outside looking in. Yeah. But it's but not. But you can understand why, she, you know. She says to Eric, "This is all that's left on the shelf. You don't right. know me. She's dead, because you know she's so humiliated and hurt, and and unhappy." So, how yeah. does a writer for Yankee Magazine mm. end up in Cairo? Well, it wasn't a writer. I had a story published in Yankee, but I was I was. Uh, how did I end up in Cairo? I went on a voyage of discovery at the age of 33, which seems to be the, the good age to do that. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to have uh, a friend who was actually my college English professor, and she was teaching at Cairo American College. And um, I, 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 went on, I went on a voyage of discovery. I went for either two weeks or three months or forever. And it ended up being 18 years. I went wow. to England. <laughs> yeah, I went to England first um, and uh, was there for about a year and a half. And then my friend, my college English professor, dear friend Dolores Netsband, was teaching English in Cairo at the Cairo American College. And her daughter had just left to go to college. And she invited me down for a visit, and I just loved it. So she allowed me to stay and I stayed at her place for about six months and then just branched out and got various jobs as an editor for many years. So just sort of happened. Not planned. I wanted to go to Mars, but I'm really into the whole alienation thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who's your favorite next generation character? Data. You know, I, Obviously. Yeah. I'm just completely into the other character. Um, I think so we can both I, agree that that was not Data. That was uh, Riker. Who really? knew what that guy was thinking? What, huh? I was making fun of Jonathan Frakes. Never mind. 
Okay, I get it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I, it, it was a really good way to find myself, to be in a place where no one could tell me who I was. So, um, so I did that for a long time, and I grew up, which was wonderful. And really, uh, I always hated that part, but that's just God. Me. It was oh my god. <laughs> uh, I was like, what the hell? What a waste of forty-five years. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't somebody tell me that taking responsibility for my own actions and doing whatever the hell I want was the fun part? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't know. Um, yes. I was going to say, like, eating sugary cereals every single day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner is wicked fun. You shouldn't do it. But it's so much No, fun. I really shouldn't. My, my blood sugar is getting a little high. No, no one should. No one should, really. But you can, and that's the point. Well, you're I, a freaking I, I, adult, I, damn it! I, no, I, see, when I say I grow up, uh, I've always been, you know, sort of serious. I'm a very serious person. I'm sure you can tell. And uh, well, I wrote that damn book. I had to apply myself. Oh, by the way, there's a sequel in the works. Cool. I'm yeah. in. Upon reflection. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Cairo. Cairo was very, very cool. Um. Not what anybody thinks. Um, and I lived mostly with a with a uh, American and European community. Uh, and worked a series of, of nice jobs. Um, but yeah, it was it. You have to to get out of your society like that to be to. It, I needed that to see myself and to go. Yeah. Oh, you're okay. <laughs> cool. I I have always suggested that at some point. You get out of your comfort zone and cross yeah. a couple of borders yeah. and see what it's like on the other side of that line. Yep. There Which was, is, you know, we've all kind of, I've, I know I've done it and uh, I was, I was never happier than uh, when I was in the Far East. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, um, and, and that sort of stuff really um, redounds in my writing as well. I'm always writing about going to an alien place. Um, I've really fallen back into this. I've written a bunch of mysteries, um, which are very nice, but I'm sort of falling back into straight sci-fi because I've sort of, you know, a girl writing hard science fiction. Oh, my God. No, it's not an oh, my God. It's an oh, my God, that works. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Big Ursula K. Le Guin fan here, duh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's not a welcoming community in, in many ways. Um, I was on a panel at Aresia, which was really unwelcoming, I gotta say. So, that was Aresia. That's not. Yeah, we went there once. Yeah, well. Once. <laughs> yeah. Once. Uh, well, I'm new with the book promotion thing, so. Well, you've come to the right spot because well, God, you guys are great. <laughs> I mean, you read like more than two paragraphs. I, I really like it. Thanks. The 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 reason that we have people like you on is because not enough people have had the opportunity to be exposed to what it is that you do, and damn it, it's a good book. Thank and you. It's you got know, very good reviews, I gotta tell you. I'm as well it should. Shocked the hell out of my publisher. The publisher is a, it, I, you know, shout out to, to Five Star, Gail Sengage. 
their incredible um, editors, Denny Dietz and um, Tiffany Schofield, uh, they th who fought for the book. The book was originally rejected because, you know, sci-fi. And <laughs> Denny went back a year later and said, no, seriously, it's really good. It'll do well. And they took it after having rejected it. And, um, and it did really well. So uh, it's a small publisher. It's a small library publisher, but it's in every damn library in the country. I'll tell you, you that. Go. There you go. Um, and I'm looking to sell the paperback rights now. I got to work on that. Um, but it's it's um, it's you know they want me back, so that's nice. And I'm happy as a clam. It's a so. pleasure listening to someone who has the passion to write the way you write, who cares about their characters, who cares about the story that they're telling. And most importantly, who cares about the readers? Because it's a great ride that you give us on this story, on this book. And for the three of us to go, yeah, that's, that's a rarity. <laughs> wow. So, okay, cool. I Ellen, just wanted to make your head explode. That's all. Yeah, nice job. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Ellen, thank okay. you so much for joining thank us tonight. Thank you, Noel. Thank you. You are welcome here anytime. And when you've got something new going on, or you just feel like getting together for a while, you give us a buzz. I will. Kriana, what's happening on the next couple of weeks? She's muted, I think. Yeah, I think she is muted. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> well, so turn your music down, you darn kids. Go ahead, Shouldn't be that loud. Yeah, I said good. next week we have Ron Garner from Silence in the Library Publishing, and then on the twenty fourth we're talking to Joseph Joseph Shimalki. No one, none of us can talk today. Yeah, you noticed that. Anyway, he's doing this comic called Calamitous Black Devils, so there's that. And then sometime in July, we're talking to Peter Vinton uh, about a secret project of secrecy. Yes. We need to work a little harder at this coming up calendar concept. Yes, go on. You have other things to say. Yes, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, booksandbooze.com, and comicarthouse.com. Visit comicarthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their smooth jams on lawrencemademecry.com. Dome. I want to thank Ellen Larson for joining us tonight. And I want to thank the people who are basically semi-aware of being here with me from the Revere Times. Also, shout out to Dale. Okay. JK. Yeah, absolutely. Shout Hi, out Dale. to Dale. From the Revere Time <laughs> Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and our grammar lady, Zombrarian. Thank you very much, ladies. Wait a minute. Isn't Dale the one who actually sent us Ellen's book in the first place? Yes. Yeah, so thanks, Dale. Good job. Good pick. Thanks, Dale. Thanks, man. This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Good night.